This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, and for this special episode, I'm your host, Tia. We have kicked Mike off the show to bring you an all ladies to the front, ask us about our feminist agenda episode. And so with me today are two fantastic human beings, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Kara Shamborski. Hey. So ladies, before we get into it, let's just uh, let our listeners know that we have a few Emerald City Comic Con interviews coming up during the break. So make sure you check those out. We're going to be airing our interview with Tess Stone, creator of the webcomic Not Drunk Enough, and our interview with Jen Doyle, creator of the webcomic Knights Errant. So that's awesome. Stick around for that. And without further ado, let's get into it. Kate, what did you read this week? How are you doing? Tell us everything. I have been a little anxious with all my schoolwork and everything, so I have mostly been reading stuff that is cheerful and uplifting to try and balance that out. So I've been reading through Sarah Anderson's comics. Um, she's a does the webcomic Sarah Scribbles, and then there's two collected volumes so far. The first one is Adulthood is a Myth, and the second one is Big Mushy Happy Lump. And they're a kind of slice-of-life comedy comics that have been an absolute delight. They are very funny and are some of the few stuff that make me laugh out loud. Kara, tell us what you've been reading. Tell us how you are. You've got big news. Let us have it. My big news is I've signed a lease for a temporary situation for the summer, which is essentially a 70s bachelor pad overlooking the San Francisco <laughs> Bay. <laughs> That's I awesome. I cannot wait. <laughs> um, I should probably find enough people to throw together a party but since i'm a comic reading introvert i don't know if that'll actually happen or not we'll find out tbd just have have a solo party and just come up with a hashtag and we'll all follow you on twitter i feel like i should purchase a lava lamp just to add to this whole decor situation <laughs> has your comic reading start uh, started to become tiki themed not yet but that would be an interesting exercise in trying to find all the tiki themed comics that could match the decor of this place which has a weird glass terrarium situation where you could quote situate an exotic pet or an art gallery interesting that's a real feature of this place additionally there is a sauna in as part of the master bedroom that's currently being used as a closet but i'm informed it does work (laughs) <laughs> well, keep us updated on that situation. <laughs> uh, in terms of comics, I read Riverdale Volume 1, which is a comic based off the TV show based off of a comic. And this was important to me because it confirmed where Riverdale is located. Because in the TV show, they kind of keep that um, ambiguous. And in the Archie comics themselves that the show is based off of, they always say Riverdale is like based off of Midwestern towns, but the kids have a beach. So that never really held up for me. Um, and in this Riverdale comic, they reference multiple times that Riverdale is somewhere north of New York City on Metro North. So I assume it's like two hours north of New York on the Hudson somewhere because they specifically name check the Hudson River in here. So now I know where Riverdale is. But like Riverdale is a real place on Metro North that it's like right but it's above like above Manhattan like it's right like there. part of the Bronx. So I think they're trying to make this be more like north of West Point situation, like as far as you can go north on the Hudson line of Metro North is the vibe that I'm getting from this. Gotcha. All yeah. right. Which so is, that was I think, crucial. Poughkeepsie, actually. Right. So, and, yeah. and then the, cr- the one like moment in this book that made me cringe a little bit is because it's like a it's a bunch of anthology stories about the characters on the show setting up for the first season and some during the first season and one of them is veronica like out on the town with josie and the pussycats and they get in a drag race situation with the boys from the football team and josie says pussycats grab back yes which makes (laughs) but like which as a quote is amazing but in the context of just having a drag race with these guys with no further context i was like this is a wasted opportunity you could have made like a really amazing concept out of this one line and you wasted it on a dumb throwaway. Do better, Riverdale. There's still time. There is still time. How about you, Tia? What did you what were you up to? What did you read? 
Well, it's dance competition season, so my corpse is talking to you right now. I'm <laughs> exhausted. And uh, I, I've been taking the opportunity because um, there's a lot of downtime at these things where you're like sitting in a convention center wishing for death. And so I've just been like, you know, catching up on a lot of the comics that I kind of put to the side while I was on my little hiatus over the winter. And also, I just realized that I think that uh, the next Southern Bastards is coming out in a few weeks. And I was like, wait, what happened? I could I forgot. I don't think I was even caught up. So I decided to get caught up on Southern Bastards, which is the uh, Jason Squared, Latour and Aaron uh, creative team. And all right. So like, are you guys caught up on this at all? No, but go ahead. So one of the rival football teams, uh, one of their like main boosters is this like, uh, used car salesman and he has a pet monkey and like I understand this is a comic about football and murder so like I'm prepared for a lot of football and murder but like god damn it you guys have to warn me before you're mean to the animals okay like it's not too much to ask the monkey it's not his fault he didn't ask to be brought to Mississippi okay and like also is the monkey for sure dead? I'm not sure. I, I hold out hope that the monkey's okay because there's a part where they were like, get the monkey's body. And then they were like, they didn't. So since they like specifically called that out, I'm hoping that it means the monkey's going to come back. He's fine. The monkey will come back at the climax of the entire series <laughs> at the pivotal moment to flip the switch He's to screw over the evil guys. Defeat Coach Boss. You know, that would, Yeah. Anyway, I had a lot of feeling. I know. Okay, I had a lot of feelings about the monkey, and it, and I realized there's a lot more going on in that book. But that was really my main concern. It's all good. Yeah. All right. So speaking of books that are coming out soon, uh, I don't think that the next Southern Bastards is coming out next week. But new comics next week come out on the 28th of March, which is, as you know, a Wednesday. So let's swing it on back to Kate. What are you excited for? Well, now that I'm all caught up with Sarah Scribble's number one and two, I'm excited this week for number three comes out on Wednesday. It's called Herding Cats. Um, The tagline is Sarah valiantly struggles with waking up in the morning, being productive and dealing with social situations. So it's not very relatable for me, but I'm going to try it anyway. (laughs) Because you don't do those things? No, no, (laughs) I don't. I am like the most well-adjusted definitely not socially anxious person. So it, it'll it be a stretch, but I'm going to go there. Yeah. I mean, I don't wake up in the morning so much as I'm like risen from the dead and then spend <sighs> the rest of the day as like grumpy you guys <laughs> <should come laughs> zombie of some kind. My antisocial introvert party at my bachelor pad. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be awesome. We're going to sleep till noon. Oh my God. Do you have a rotating bed? Because I feel like the situation needs a rotating bed. With a I mirror mean, on the ceiling? Yeah. <laughs> Not on the ceiling, but one of the walls in the master bedroom is all mirrors. Okay. <laughs> Does your pick for next week have anything to do with the hijinks that we're talking about right now? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so my pick for next week is Dr. Afra number 18. Do you say Afra or Afra? Afra. Afra. All right. Dr. Afra number 18. And I'm excited for this because it's co-starring Harrison Dula, who is one of the main characters in the Star Wars Rebels TV show, which actually just wrapped and is amazing. And you can watch all of it online if you have a cable login. Um, and I love Hera so much because she is a like a leader in the star wars like rebel universe she's a pilot she's like the head of her crew she's the head of a whole squadron of fighter pilots and seeing her go up against dr afra who's another amazing extended universe star wars lady i'm like yes i don't care what situation this is how you had to contrive this i'm all in let's do this Um, And then I just wanted to make a quick note that Saga number 50 is out next week. And I know a lot of people are over this book, but I think it's really important to recognize that it did kind of jumpstart this renaissance of indie comics that we're all reaping the benefits of and caused the big two to experiment however little that they did. 
to give us some more interesting and diverse books. Um, so over it or not, it is notable that Saga made it to 50 issues and is still going strong. I guess. <laughs> I like Saga. It's such yeah. a gateway comic for so many people, too, myself included. I know. I, you know, on the topic of ask me about my feminist agenda, I thought that it, it's ham-fisted dealings with um, the issue of, like, abortion and women's health care was just so egregiously bad that they really need to be more called out and not just constantly being praised. They're big That's enough fair. now that they can handle it. Anyway. What a great segue to our topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait. Um... Unless you don't want to hear my comic pick, which is totally fine. Yes, we fine. do want to hear your comic pick. Because <laughs> Kid Lobotomy number six is coming out. And I just love this weird, crazy book. I, I love a lot of the books that um, that Blackcrown's doing. And this one is by Peter Milligan and Tess Fowler. The whole concept, I also, um, like Assassinistas is another one where it's like they pair a kind of cool, new, young up-and-comer with a like really established person so that one is um I think Teeny Howard and uh, Gilbert Hernandez and it's just like you know the the combination is just making the these super cool books that are like both uh they both feel really new and really forward-thinking but they're also like all the cool stuff that I've said cool like a million times but it's all the stuff that you just like love about comics so yeah Kid Lobotomy number six Sweet. Okay, so uh, just as a reminder, stick around. We're going to take a break, but you should hang out and listen to our Emerald City Comic Con interviews. We've got Tess Stone, who makes the webcomic Not Drunk Enough, and Jen Doyle, who does the webcomic Knights Errant. So enjoy, and we will see you back in a sec. Uh, so this is Tess Stone. We're here at Emerald City Comic Con just talking about comic books with people. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, just like real quickly, like what books you're working on, and we can get into some other questions. All right, awesome. Um, I'm working mostly primarily on Not Drunk Enough. Um, it is a horror comedy about a repairman who uh, does a late night job and the place is full of petty mad scientists and monsters cool. and gets caught in the middle of everything and he's just not drunk enough and it's a pun and it's, I guess it's kind of funny, I hope. Okay, I love that. That's fantastic. I've seen that book like all over. I'm, I'm going to grab as many copies as I can today, at least the volume one and two, um, and, and make these guys buy them as well. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, but, so we were talking before we started recording, you know, um, what do you like about Emerald City Comic Con maybe over other cons? Um, I would say the vibe. There's something about this vibe here that's just really positive. Everyone's in a really good mood all the time. And I'm not to say that, you know, like other cons, everyone's like grouchy. But this, like, there's something about the staff is always happy. You know, the people who are here are always happy. They always provide enough space. So there's not a lot of choke points. So people don't feel like they get stuck places, get lost places. And it's just... Everyone's just excited about original work as well as like fan art and all that stuff. And it's it's kind of a little more rare these days to find people that excited to just see people making their own stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I was really kind of like thrown off by the multi-tier, like multi-level thing that they do right. here. But like New York City Comic Con is the one con that I go to like every year. Right. And it's chaos. It's just, it's a monster. Yeah, especially, I, unfortunately for New York Comic Con, I think the Javits Center is too small for it and there's a lot of choke points and and just trying to get from like a panel from the artist alley you have to make like a 45 minute time slot to make sure you can get there in time and that just doesn't have to happen here and it makes things a lot nicer yeah i've definitely seen like it's a lot easier to approach a lot of people and the big thing is like there's space like i can breathe even behind the tables we have space you know we're not like all crammed together and then like people have room to walk around and actually like look at stuff and not actually like be in people's ways it's just it's they work really hard here to make sure that it's just a very pleasant experience and it yeah, really absolutely resonates. yeah absolutely i mean uh we could talk about the con all day yeah. uh, let me actually <laughs> let me ask you a question so um of all the comics that you've probably been reading over the last year what's something that's been your favorite like if you had to pick one over the last year or all-time favorite uh, maybe one of each. Okay, so one of my all-time favorite is probably Monster mm. by Urasawa. Yeah. Um, I really, really love that. I mean, he's one of my heroes to begin with. Mm -hmm. And there's just something about Monster that I always think back to. And it's his pacing, his storytelling, his ability to put like a thousand characters into something. And you care about every single one. Even the, even the ones that you think you'll hate, you kind of come around on. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, you know what? There's complexity in you. And I would totally dislike you as a person 
But as a character, I'm feeling you. I'm feeling you. I hope you don't die. You probably will, but I hope you don't die. And it's just, it's just really phenomenal. And like, and as far as like recently, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be one of those suckers that's gonna plug one of my friends' comics because I'm just absolutely in love with it. Barbarous by Yuko Oda and Ananth Hirsch. It is. Oh, sorry, I love that book so much. Right. It is beautiful. It's wonderfully crafted. They're a wonderful team. They co-create beautifully, and it's just, it's something that, the like, they just create stuff that the comic industry kind of just needs it's just it's just a really wonderful voice and a really beautiful book and if you and they actually have the physical copy of the first chapter now um so i definitely recommend picking it up and it's just gorgeous and i can't wait for more of it barbarous someone recommended recommended that to me like like an off-cuff just conversation and i could not stop reading and then realized oh there's only like two chapters out it's it's the only problem is that it, there's not more um yeah. but like like the characters are just so great and yeah, and and like the, the way they they did leads. I mean, let's just let's just be honest. He's a good-looking monster boy. <laughs> yes, so, somehow. Uh, okay, so one last question because I don't want to take up all your time. Um, what's one super popular movie that you haven't seen? Black Panther. I know. Oh. Universal gasps. Um, <laughs> so the thing was is that I've been wanting to see it really bad, but I've been closing my other job and preparing for this con this whole time. Okay. And so every time people start talking about it, I'm like, please stop. <laughs> I just can't. And so the first thing I'm going to do when I get back is just watch it. I've been needing to so bad. It's like my hugest regret. And like everyone, like all my work chat has a private chat for Black Panther and they can all talk in it except me <laughs> and I'm like never felt so excluded in my life but it's it's beautiful and I, I I feel like there's nothing bad about that movie it just brings positive energy and I'm just so excited to see it oh yeah it's I've seen it twice I'm probably gonna see it another two times and then I'm gonna buy the blu-ray and watch it so yeah I think when you finally are able to enter that chat your, your life is gonna change dramatically I, I foresee actually being a wholer person in general <laughs> Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for like taking the time out to talk to us. Um, I guess, where can people find you on the internet? What book should they be looking out for with you? Um, so, Not Drunk Enough is going to have Volume 2 coming out, hopefully by the end of this year or the beginning of next year, with um, personally and with Oni Press as well. And then, um, you can also find it at www.notdrunkenough.com. And I'm Wotess on Twitter, Tumblr, and pretty much everything else. And it's spelled w-h-o-a so <laughs> just in case because there's like 80 ways to spell whoa and i realized that after i made the name gotcha well thank you so much this has been awesome super glad i got to talk to you this yeah. i love all your work so well, thank, thank you, you it's so awesome much. so good it was wonderful talking too thank you We're here at Emerald City Comic Con with Jen Doyle. We're talking about comic books and all sorts of cool stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing, what you're working on? Oh, sure. Uh, so I'm Jen Doyle. I work on the comic Night's Errant, which is published online, but is also being published in print. And it's a queer revenge thriller. And basically, I wanted to work on a pulpy like LGBTQ plus comic since I couldn't really find that while looking for media when I was like a teen and an adult and so I was basically trying to make a story that I guess like a younger me would have wanted to read. So. Oh no that's super cool like I've seen your book like like pieces of your book all over Twitter and stuff like that and I'm like so happy that I got to meet you and actually buy a copy of the book I'm really excited to read the whole thing even though I know it's online but like having the physical copy just feels like special in my heart. Oh yeah no same like actually even though I've been working on it for so long when I finally held the physical copy I was like oh it's real. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a tangible object. <laughs> so, well, so so you said you got into this book because you wanted to see more of this. Um, like, what's your favorite part about working on this book? Like, as you've been doing it for for how long? Um, technically, I've been working on it since 2009, but I rebooted it in two, 2014. Okay. So the book that I have out right now is the 2014 version. So I've been working on it for about four years now. So, okay. what's your favorite part about working on it? Like, since I guess the reboot. Oh. Um, I guess like my favorite thing to draw like has been learning to draw action sequences okay. and like it's something that like I always admired when I read other series and I just wanted to like learn from like the best artists like that I always admired growing up and try to like put it in my own book and okay. my own spin on it but also my favorite part to work on is like creating these characters that I would have like I said earlier would have liked to see when I was a child um, like in a pulpier story and yeah, especially with queer characters because a lot of queer comics tend to be about coming of age and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like fun to see a little diversity in that. 
I mean, it sounds like if you've been working on this since 2009, you're kind of like in the beginning of this new wave of those kinds of comic books. Um, what's a comic that you've read recently in like the last couple of years that's been like a number one like go-to for your recommendation? Oh yeah, uh, it's a manga called Golden Kamui. Okay. It just it's just started being published by Viz. Okay. Um, I think it's Viz. <laughs> okay. But it's basically, you know, like Jack London novels, like uh, it, it's like the gold rush in Hokkaido in Japan during like right after the Russo-Japanese War. And it's about this uh, veteran who survived the war trying to make it rich to find gold. But he ends up getting caught up in this, uh, like trying to build, build together a map to find this hidden stash of gold in Hokkaido. And it's extremely pulpy, it's really fun. It's like gory, but it's very funny. And it has incredible action, oh, it has incredible action sequences. So. Awesome, awesome. Well, we'll, I'll keep my eye out for that. You said it's just starting to get published in the US? I, yeah, I think the first volume is out, possibly the second volume, but it's like one of my favorites right now. That's awesome, that's cool. So I guess back to your comic, um, have you had any like happy accidents that have like played out throughout your book? Like you did something, you're like, oh no, and then it turned out to be pretty good? Oh yeah. Uh, I, I guess something did happen, but it will spoil something later on. It was like, oh, okay. It was a case of accidental foreshadowing. Oh, okay. I mean, I think if you can walk around it, maybe that could yeah. work. <laughs> I, I don't think I'll be able to eloquently do that. Okay, that's that's fine. That's fine. Um, I guess the one last thing is, um, is there a book that, like, of someone that you know that you want to, like, plug or anything like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone in that row, like, all my friends' books are really good. Like, um, Barbarous by uh, Anand Hirshan, yes. Yuko Ota. It's incredible. I love that book. I love that book. Too. Oh. And also, like, Check, Please, of course, by Ngozi. And, mm -hmm. Like, okay, I need to read Atomic Roto. I haven't read it yet. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. There's a lot to that book. There's a lot. Um, well, I guess uh, to wrap up, where can people find you on the internet? What should they be looking for with your name on it? Oh, uh, so you could find me at The Young Doiler at Twitter. Um, and basically on there you can find more info about Knights Errant, about other projects I'm working on, and basically fan art I draw, like I draw a lot of Overwatch fan art, a lot of Golden Kamui fan art, and basically anything I'm interested in, I'll typically post on my Twitter. And should I spell out the Twitter name? Or? No, no, we'll find it. We'll put it in our show notes and stuff like that. So, all right, thank you so much for your time. Sorry I threw you some like weird questions. <laughs> no I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, this week is all about our feminist agenda. And we're going to be talking about uh, not just characters in comics, but also creators and fans and just why feminism in comics is good for everybody, even if you don't identify as a woman. So we were talking about this uh, in, in our chat, and you made a point that I think that is really important. You said just because a character is female doesn't mean that she's feminist. So uh, when I started reading comics, I wanted to be into comics. And as a teenager and trying to figure out this whole new brave world of superhero comics, that meant kind of going along with what comics were doing and what comics fans who like the vocal majority at the time was straight white dudes we're saying is the greatest. So I read, you know, Watchmen, Superman, Red Sun, um, like anything that was touted as like a great thing. Like the one recommendation I didn't actually sit down and read is Sandman. Um, but a lot of other stuff, it was like if my library had it, I was reading it. And I was really into comics that had women in them so I was reading a lot of DC I was reading Birds of Prey uh, I loved Gotham City Sirens Supergirl Power Girl all of those characters and I recently went back and reread some of the stuff that I was like really into as a teenager and really excited because they were women and I was kind of like taken aback by how unfeminist the portrayals of those characters were and it 
just made me think like how like impressionable I was as a teenager reading these books where the women were sex objects, like even reading Teen Titans, which is a book about teenagers, like all the girls are like walking around wearing barely nothing. And I would like, you know, stand in front of my mirror trying to see if like my body could be in the positions that they were just like hanging out in and stuff like that. And it was just like, it didn't have to be that way. And I shudder to think of how many other girls and boys are reading books like this and are saying, oh, this is normal. This is how it should be when that's not it at all. Yeah, this is actually a really interesting way to get into this topic. Kate, do you, like, what was your first, I don't know, inkling that maybe the um, the comics that you were reading weren't necessarily doing a great job or on the other hand did you read comics that you just felt like wow this is like girl power and I'm into this (laughs) I wish Um, (laughs) I came to them as an adult uh, so I wasn't I I don't know I think we're all impressionable at any age obviously not as badly as kids but um, I was in my early 20s and started reading them from the library when I was there picking out novels some of them caught my eye and then went about the same kind of route as Kara, where I picked up the things that you were supposed to read, and then just stuff that looked good. So in that mix, I got a lot of stuff that I don't, I didn't remember. I was more just very put off by it when I'd get it in a book, and sometimes wouldn't read it or wouldn't would finish it, but just kind of feel weird about it, like or just get really frustrated, um, especially the fighting in bikinis or in you know thigh high high heels. Um, one that comes to mind is the Electra run that's so famous where she's in like thigh high red stiletto heels and a bikini bathing suit base. Well, I don't remember if it's a bikini. It might be one, one piece. The heels but alone the, though. The, she's the a point fighter. remains, she's in a bathing suit and thigh high heels. It has the like flaps, the like <sighs> yes, really high cut on the leg. Yeah. Yes. It's completely ridiculous. And, and you're like, you want to like the comic as a whole is good other than that in a lot of ways. But man, and so there was a lot of instances like that. And then there were other times where I went to pick up a book that I saw like the name of on a list and then was like, saw the cover or the interior. It was like, I can't, check. it was like embarrassed to check it out because it's such, I don't know, pornographic depictions of women and characters at times. You know what I mean? So I got a lot of that. I think that's where Saga was so appealing to me early on. That was, you know, so it's, mainstream enough that libraries had it and it was much different than a lot of these other books especially dc books for whatever reason that my library had a lot of them that were like that so i got into more uh image stuff from there and kind of went down that kind of path finding more things that were more interesting to me and weren't as hard to read yeah i i feel like the first time I read a big two book that I had a realization that the char- the woman characters were not drawn like porn actresses with body paint, it like I almost cried. I think it was actually Hawkeye and like Kate Bishop is, you know, a teenager and she's flat chested and kind of hippie and short. And I was just like, oh, my God. You mean the AHA run? Yeah, yeah, the David AHA design for her, um, you know, which I think has just kind of been wholesale adopted. That's, you know, that's her look compared to the one before, which one of my friends uh, is also really into the Young Avengers and constantly is like, why won't you read this earlier run where she's in her other costume? And I'm just like, I don't need a Kate Bishop that looks like a freaking porn star. Yeah. You know, I don't need like the vacuum sealed tomato boobs on a teenage (laughs) character. And, you know, I mean, maybe I had higher expectations because my first exposure to comics was actually um, in grad school. I like... I was like the black sheep of my art history department. They didn't know what to do with me. So one semester, they farmed me out to the women's studies department to TA one of their classes on women, gender, and pop culture. And the professor did a lot of work on comics. And there was a whole section in the in the class on comics. And so like one of my first tasks for this professor I was TAing for was photocopying pages of her women's comics. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. And my entire introduction to comics, Batwoman and Phoenix and like all of the convert like the conversations I was having about these characters began with the premise that we were having of like we were doing a like critical feminist reading of those characters. So I never bothered with the canon, the Watchmen and the, you know, Batman books. I, I was just like, I don't have time for this nonsense because I don't need to hold my nose in order to like consume the canon of this, you know, genre or this medium. I think my like early exposure to the kind of like mainstream representation of women in superhero comics is why I feel so deeply and emotionally about a lot of the books coming out now, which are not about that. Like I freaked out hard when Lumberjane started existing just because I knew that if someone had handed that to me when I was 12, I would have had a much different uh, path in terms of media consumption and accepting things just because they were the norm yeah i feel that way about lumberjanes too i'm so glad it exists i'm glad it exists too although i i personally have never responded to it but i think that a really key point of our feminist agenda of the i read comic books feminist agenda something we talk about constantly is the idea that you can be glad something exists even if you don't personally love it because not everything has to be for you and that's okay that's like you know a lot of people say they love the Luke Cage show on Netflix, but they recognize it's not made for them. And mm-hmm. that's okay. Like, I really love Luke Cage, but I realize I'm not the target audience. And that's fine, because I'm excited that there is something that's not what everything else is. And just to, like, clarify, I feel like this point doesn't apply to things that are harmful to a demographic of people. So, like... I don't want to hear that you're like, you know, whatever porny, like, avatar comic bullshit, like, isn't for me, so I don't get to criticize it. Like, that's not quite what we're talking about here. More like, you know, so actually, I think it's really useful at this point, maybe to clarify, when we're talking about feminism, we're actually talking about a, a power dynamic that exists in the way that we consume media, the way that we interact with each other, the way we like kind of go through the world. We're not necessarily talking about like individual people and the choices that they make because, you know, we all have to exist in the world and the world is, you can't be a feminist in everything that you do, even if you're a person of any gender who identifies as feminist. So like, when we say feminist, we're talking more about like a concept and not about like specific things that people do. Does that make sense? Like when we were talking about like a few months back about uh, objectifying women, like the representations yeah, yeah, of like, women. And we're saying like, okay, like obviously we are not living in a like a vacuum where there's a platonic ideal where we're going to be all of these things, all this, all these times. There's like a reality that like, if you wear lipstick, you're going to look a little less dead to people sometimes. So they're going to think that you're like a healthy person and going to maybe consider you as more adept at your job because they've done like studies about that, which I hate, where it's like, if you wear like too little makeup, people think you look sick. If you wear too much makeup, people think that you're trying to hide something. But if you wear just the right amount, people are like, oh, look, she's a functional member of society. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, bringing it back to the concept of like, not everything's for you and that's okay. You can't say that about things that are harmful because the power dynamic is such that like, if it's harming people, they should be able to criticize it and talk about why it's harmful to them. However, it's not harmful to anyone to simply have diverse content in comics that you just 
don't personally like or isn't directed towards you. I think there's, and Comics Gate seems to be really predicated on this concept that this is their like ostensible reason for hating everybody, which is that like it's killing the comics industry because it's taking up space and the SJWs don't actually buy the comics. And it's like, okay, no, we're not, there are not finite resources here. Yeah, it also wouldn't get produced if no one was buying it. So that premise is just wrong as well. They get gobbled up. The highest selling graphic novels, like continually the top 10, like half of them are always those. Um, Raina oh, Tuggemeyer. Yeah, those. Yeah, exactly. For for little girls. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so all of this is to say that when we're talking about feminism, we're talking about the structures that make comics the way they are and not, you know... Yeah, like the whole d- distribution system and, and comic shops, it's like, yeah, of course, if you make America Chavez and you only sell it in comic shops, well, I, I'm sure it's not going to sell well because like, I really doubt that the target demographic f- goes to comic shop. We've talked about this before. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a good example. Like you're saying it's a we're talking about the overarching institutional choices. So, for example, the comics direct market and the fact that a lot of comics need to sell well in the first three or four months of publication in order to get like continue to be in existence. But in order for them to sell well the first three months, the people at the comic shops pre-ordering all those books need to be willing to take a chance on it enough so that people coming into the shop can buy it. And you're right, if people are not going into comic shops, they're not going to even know about those books. So the system that currently exists for selling comics is targeted to a specific demographic of people who have a disproportionate say with their dollars in terms of what's being made because of how the system is set up. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that things don't get trade runs and have those, like, have a chance to be successful in places like Barnes & Noble and other places where people can pick up trades that where they might not be going to a comic shop. Because I think a lot of books like that do much better in trade, but don't get the chance because, like you said, their first three issues might not sell well, and so by the time it gets to a trade, it might not even get to a trade. So, Point two of our feminist agenda fix comic book distribution and sales so that <laughs> so that people's uh, dollars have a more equal say yeah my my saltiest too lately were mockingbird getting canceled because of that kind of thing and gamora Ugh, yeah. getting can- gamora yeah. got canceled before it even got a trade and yep. it's like for teenage girls so yeah it was unfortunate it was so good too but this is exactly what we're talking about. Where it, it's an institutional problem, and and so it makes it look like there is something being taken away from you if you are more open to diversity. When really, like the system is set up to make you believe that. I sometimes wonder, like guys, does it ever bother you that these corporations who control these structures? they've already decided for you what they think you should like and what they think you should know about. Like, doesn't that bother you? Just rats in the maze. Yeah, but no, I mean, honestly, it's like sometimes I, I, for all the struggle that there could be when you're not, when you don't have like all of the privilege that you could have, I sometimes just think like I'm such a a much more empathetic person and I have such a, like a rich tapestry of of ideas that I can engage with because I don't I I had to really seek things out that spoke to me because the the mainstream didn't necessarily speak to me but people who the mainstream is trying to speak to you know and who like I don't know it's like you don't even know what you don't know about what's out there I think that's kind of the point they're scared of what's out there and they want to hide in their whole kind of ostrich head in the sand is always the feeling I get with those guys they're very threatened by the big wide world. Yeah, I think that they have this idea that, you know, it's taking something from them and they can't really imagine like that equality doesn't mean we're going to switch places. It actually just means like we're all on. It doesn't mean men lose. That's Mike. Those That's Mike's note when I asked if any, there were any points that anyone wanted us to make on the show. Equality doesn't mean men lose. 
I wanted to talk about um, like stereotypical gender roles because that was a recurring theme when we were preparing for this episode. Definitely. Um, like different tropes that uh, female characters, especially in superhero comics, seem to fall into and the the attitudes and skills that they're portrayed as having that make them strong like t i think you were talking about the masculinization of female characters yeah you know so going back to the idea that it's not about people but it's about like structures you know certain things are coded masculine and certain things are coded feminine so like if you take a female character and then you give her all of the qualities that you would give a man and then call her a strong female character. But Tia, that's how you can tell she's strong is because she's not a girly girl and she likes boy stuff. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that drives me nuts. (laughs) You know, and so I think that um, Kate, Kate with an I, how are we differentiating the Kates? Uh, Kate Lamphere. I'm Kate Kate Scotchless. Yes. Uh, you know, she pointed out in the notes that um, that we just need to, like, get rid of these I, these gender roles. And, I, you know, I totally agree. I think that also she asked, where are the agender people in comics? Like, we just need, like, know. lesbians with lasers coming out of their eyes. Where are my lesbian superheroes with awesome powers? <laughs> <laughs> Shh, Kate, don't tell them about that. <laughs> right i want representation of my reality with my laser eyes something you want to share with us <laughs> yes but you know uh, i think that the, like this kind of gets into the idea that um for feminism to really have any sort of uh, meaning it really has to be intersectional it really has to take into account the re- different realities for different people. And you can't do that if you're dealing in stereotypes. Tia, can you explain intersectional feminism to our <laughs> listeners who might not know what that is? Yes. First of all, buy all of the Bitch Planet single issues and read all of the essays in the back <laughs> of them. But basically, uh, the Cliff Notes version of intersectional feminism is is just the acknowledgement that um, different people have are bringing different uh privileges to to their feminism or um in some cases lack of privilege so if you are a trans woman of color for example you have uh some kind of different layers to what you need from feminism than like a white straight woman and so part of being a an intersectional feminist is to acknowledge those differences and also to I mean, honestly, just to put it really bluntly, to kind of like learn when it's your job to kind of be quiet or step aside and use the privilege that you bring to help other people. Well, you're you're just making me think of, oh, and I'm blanking on who said this in our chat, but one of the guys was like giving a list of rules for like contributing to a conversation and it was like questions to ask yourself where it was like do like oh yeah do I need to say this do Do I need to say this right now and does this need to be said by me yeah yeah I think this goes back to um a point that Kate made in chat which is that you need to hire women and then not be shitty to them yeah and 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 that doesn't mean that dudes can't write good strong feminist well-written characters but I think that it's important to ask yourself if if it the if the fandom and the character and and all of it would be better served by using your privilege to pass the mic yeah i feel that way about comic movies as well like i was really happy when joss wheaton stepped down from batgirl oh god yes <laughs> so they're are they gonna get roxanne gay to write that because she's you know mentioned on twitter that she'd be game and i would love that i'd see that movie <laughs> And it's not to say that people can only write in their identity, but like, you know what? Maybe hire Roxanne Gay to write Batman and then I'll and then I don't care who you get to write Wonder Woman cuz like we're all good. But that's never going to happen. So Right. I mean, the the comics industry, especially the higher up you go, the more da- male dominated it gets. And I think changing that shift and the in white. I mean, it's it's straight white guys pretty heavily 
Yeah. No, wait, but that Marvel guy, like, <sighs> pretended to be Asian. It's all good. How is he real? <laughs> I just, that thing blows my mind. I know. How does he still have a job? <laughs> oh, I don't know. When I read about that, I was like, this can't be real. And when I realized it was real, I was like, why are more people not freaking out I about know. this? This guy was... It was real with no repercussions. It's just so bizarre. Yeah. You know, I think that the people who are opposed to diversity and feminism, they are always complaining that we're trying to force diversity at the expense of good stories. And I'm just like, buddy, you don't even know what you're talking about because you have only heard one kind of story your entire life and, and that's it well and it's also insulting to, because they're what they're saying is that good stories can't be told by women or lgbt right. people they can't be told about women or lgbt people like the, like the only yeah. good stories are stories by men about men that yeah like it's yeah so it's, it's shitty on multiple levels <laughs> And, you know, to kind of tie back our two points that we just made about um, intersectional feminism and also like hiring women and then not being shitty to them. Um, there was an article that came out recently about Comicsgate and it just like totally skated over the really specific targeting of trans women that this horrible group of people has been engaging in. And it's like, I think that that kind of going back to Kate's point, like if you hire people in higher levels of publishing that come from diverse backgrounds, I think that they're going to be less reluctant to really support the creative and like fan perspectives that, you know, that are getting attacked by this very small but loud group of angry people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then there's also comics that you see where I'm like, if you had just had a single female in that room, oh God, someone would have swatted this down so hard. Right? Like, I don't remember the trade, but I was trying to read this Wonder Woman trade, and every shot of her was like scoliosis back to get boobs <laughs> and butt. You know, two. Yeah. Like, oh my God, it was like I was Snapchatting. It was so ridiculous, and it's like there was there could not have been a single female involved in the production of this because someone would have been like anatomically, my body can't do that. Like. Her superpower is having a rubber band for a spine. <laughs> and it's just, you know, ugh. for whatever bullshit reason that you might have for not having a woman on your creative team, at least have your dudes be self-aware. Like you're telling, you're talking about trades where right. it's like if there was one woman in the room, that wouldn't have happened. I want to just call like, those dudes out, Kara, because they know better. They do. Listen, listen, like, okay. Anyone who saw... Mad Max Fury Road knows that it was an insanely well done feminist empowering story for a lot of good reasons. And then anyone who read the oh Furiosa God. comic, why did you have to bring that up? I because it's so it indicative of this problem. So in the comic, they're like, "Oh, her backstory is really that she was one of Immortem Joe's wives and she was raped by him," which makes this all the sweeter. And anyone who saw that movie should have been able to look at that comic and say, you missed the point entirely. Why are you putting money into this project? Like there was just no self-awareness and no understanding of what made that story good. And it just baffles me that rape and other violence against women is still used as like the motivation for their characters in so many comics and related media. The most galling thing about that to me is like, you know, some dude sat down and was like, what's the worst thing that could happen to a person being raped? And it's like, okay, if you know that, then like, I would like to introduce you to the real world. And I'm sorry to tell you that <laughs> there's, there's a lot of it going on and you're not helping. That's why I was, I, you know, for all of the different weird iterations of Wonder Woman that have existed, I always liked her as a character because she's someone like Superman who just wanted to do the right thing. She didn't have like a tragic backstory. And that was always super appealing to me. I'm like, not every female character in comics needs to have had some horrible past that dr like drives her to do this thing. You don't have to make her Batman to make her likable. I mean, on the <laughs> other hand, I hate characters like that. And so I really love Angela in the... Um, in the Marvel reboot that they did where they got rid of her space bikini and they just made her like 
really pointy and aggressive and like badass for no reason. Like she, her backstory is like she's a princess and could do whatever. I mean, like she doesn't have any tragic backstory. I mean, she kind of did, but she didn't know about it. So she just was like that because she's like that. And I love that about oh, her. Man. I love characters like that. She's just a stabby potato. Yeah. <laughs> I was just telling one of one of my non-nerd friends earlier, we were talking about Disney movies and the movie Maleficent and how much I hate that movie because the trailer made it seem like Maleficent was going to be like this badass witch. And then the whole movie was about how she'd been wronged by a man and then was saved by like her love, like maternal love for this princess. And I'm like, no, she's evil as hell. Let her be evil. Let her revel in her badness. There doesn't need to be a tragic backstory and she doesn't need to be the good guy. Let her live. Let her be the petty bitch that she was born to be. So when I see characters like that in comics, like like Angela or like the the girls on the superhero team in Miss of Avalon or things like that, where they're just awful and that's fine. Like I live for that because it fights the stereotype that all women have to be good and pure and maternal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm you're not getting good stories out of out of gender stereotypes. So just like stop well and that's the other point of that is even if you have this like maybe it would be a good story they're so tired if you're falling back on those stereotypes your story's been done find something else it's been done like a million times a million ways like the rape as the making you a strong back you know badass woman thing has been done so many times tell a different story it'll be better for it i think that um the answer that a lot of people give when they don't want to hear this is like it's just a story and I just want to make it really clear that it's not just a story that the like men you know straight white men are the default and so we just kind of uh, assume that they can be and do whatever but like when you have these stories about women or minorities or LGBTQ people or whatever, you know, like whoever isn't part of that, like very narrow demographic of the default, those stories are like circulating in the world purporting to represent all of us. And they like set scripts for what our relationship is to to the default or to each other and how we what our interiority is like. And, and I mean, so, you know, I guess you could always just like be a critical reader like that would be nice. But not everyone has like a, you know, really sophisticated uh liberal arts education where they've learned how to do that so like you know for better or for worse these stories circulate as and they represent us in the world so that's why we need people to do better do you have any titles in mind that you'd recommend for people that want to go read more feminist uh kind of comics comics that i would recommend just off the top of my head from like recent things are like bitch planet is the obvious one because that is specifically about exploring um the stories and experiences of a range of women um i also really like paper girls which we just recently read for our goodreads pick because they do address um however briefly uh some of the things that we expect of women and girls and just kind of uh, like directly addre- addressing or subverting those expectations that we have. Um, we already mentioned Lumberjanes. We briefly mentioned the America Chavez books. Um, I really think that The Wicked and the Divine is a good feminist piece because the women or, or goddesses in that book are all allowed to be themselves. I agree. I actually think it would be more useful for people to learn how to apply a sort of feminist critical lens to anything that they read. Because even these books that we're talking about have their problems. Like even, you know, like Saga has its problems. And it's like kind of giving someone a fish versus teaching them to fish. And I think that if you can not all of the media that we consume is going to be feminist because we live in the world, you know, and that's fine. And it's like, it's okay to like Angela's face bikini. And also like when they, you know, make her like a badass 
you know, lesbian romance hero. You know what I mean? Like you can, you don't have to be perfect feminist because you can't, but if you can learn how to apply that critical lens to everything that you read, you can kind of parse the the things that are useful from it and just sort of be aware of the things that maybe aren't so good about it. Yeah. I like re- the revival series um, with the the lead character is a detective, Dana Cypress, who's a single mom. And I like it as an example of a character, like a female character who's really well-rounded. Like she's not just a strong woman and she's just not a total bitch or she's not like none of those female stereotypes, right? She's just like a person that's struggling really hard with this crazy sci-fi shit that's going down and doing the best she can. And I, I think that's one that I point to when people want something different. To Tia's point about thinking about things critically, you know, that makes me think of the feminist frequency tagline where it's just like, be critical of the media that you love. Like you can still love something, but be aware that it's not perfect. Um, One of the like critical lens tests that I really like when looking at media like comics is Kelly Sue DeConnick's sexy lamp test, which is essentially if your female character can be replaced by a sexy lamp and the plot is able to continue (laughs) as usual, you have not created a very good character. You have created a sexy lamp. Yeah, I also like the Hawkeye Initiative's take on if, if I drew a male character like this, would it be comedically ridiculous? Like, I love Kate Bishop, but those stupid hip cutouts on her costume, like, if you put those on a dude, they'd be comical. So... Yeah, see? Yeah. Goes back to what I was saying. You can like be critical of the things that you love. Absolutely. I I and then I mean the Bechtel test is an imperfect one, but like, you know, it it's worth asking yourself um is there more than one woman in this book with a name and do they interact with each other about something other than a dude? And just like thinking about like even if the the woman is talking to another woman about something that's not a dude, and she does have enough of a character where she can't be replaced as a sexy lamp. Like, is she still being portrayed overtly as a sexual object? So I'm thinking specifically about one of the books I mentioned earlier that I loved when I was younger, which was Gotham City Sirens, which was Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and Catwoman, essentially like gal palling around Gotham. And going back and rereading it, the first thing I noticed was like in every single panel you're focused on one of their asses or their chest. And it's just very clear that they're there to be oogled. And that made me feel skeevy. And I couldn't believe that I hadn't noticed that when I was younger. But I didn't know that that was something I should have been aware of. Well, I hope that this wasn't just like an overwhelming bash over the head for people who maybe are not as familiar with this kind of approach. Um, You know, I I really worry sometimes that people think that when we say feminism, we mean like girls only. And really, it just means that the uh, the power balance and the gender stereotypes that thrive in that power balance, like it, they are not good for anybody. No, everyone deserves better stories. Everyone will benefit from better stories, which means different stories, which means diverse stories. All right. So before we uh, wrap things up, I just want to remind everyone we have a QA and a episode on May 16th. It's coming up soon. So send us your questions and uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Portrait of Madame X. Kate? I'm at Kate Scotchless. Kara? At Kara Zam. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. We retweet stuff and post polls like most likely to have their Facebook hacked. There's a Goodreads group with weekly threads. Uh, Kate, do you know what this week's thread was? I think the most recent one was uh, pitch your favorite comic book trade in two sentences. Nice. There were some good ones. <laughs> and you can find us on the web at ircbpodcast.com. Please rate the show, subscribe, tell your friends. You can email the show at ircb at destroythesibe.org. 
Infinity Shred is the best. They do our music. And Xander is also the best. He is our audio wizard who edits the show. Thanks, Kara and Kate. And thank you, listeners. And until next time, stay feminist. Ha, 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 ha.